Hello, welcome back to another episode of Herb of the Week. I'm your host, Kyle Denton. Thank you so much for joining. I really appreciate your time. I really appreciate your attention. I know it's all valuable. It's the most valuable thing there is, actually. So I appreciate that very much. So welcome back because we have a herb of the week and no longer two herbs of the week in Gemini. We were doing two herbs a week because they're the twins and I thought it was pretty fun and I thought it was fun to do twinsy-like herbs, herbs that would be helpful for the lungs, herbs that would be helpful for communication and other Gemini and mercurial qualities and actions and attributes. But we are going back to one single herb per week and this week is a solstice herbal special we have saint john's wart in the house i call it solstice wart some people call it saint jones wart some people call it by its botanical name hypericum and the species that we're talking about is perforatum hypericum perforatum as in well i'll tell you all about it as we get in here um, let's see here for this episode. I got a couple of notes here, so I just want to lay down how things are going to go. I'm going to talk a little bit about the solstice because that's that time of year, what it means just a little bit. We're going to get into signatures. I just kind of want to give a little basis about what they are in case you haven't been following along. And we'll talk in particular about the signatures of St. John's wort and how they're applicable to the medicine. I'll cover a little bit about St. John the Baptist because I think it's important and relevant. It's the name of the plant. It's the time of the year. There's a lot of stuff that to unpack that I think will be um, informative of the medicine of this plant when we talk about the mythological or historical or archetypical figure, however you want to think about it, St. John the Baptist. And then we'll get into the virtues of the plant as well. Of course, I'm going to tell you about all the things that it does at least all the things that I can remember. And finally, some ways that I really like to use it, how to make medicine with it and everything like that. So that's the plan. And I'm going to stick to it. But first the name, St. John's wart. St. John, who's that? We'll figure it out. But wart, what does wart mean? Well, wart is an old English word that means plant, means healing plant in particular, as opposed to weed which is just a plant whose virtues aren't known <laughs> or loved. So wart was kind of like the, um, the apothecarist officinal. Whenever you see the word like officinalis or anything like that, that was always as, as, as like a, the academy's version of the most medicinal plant. And I think wart is a similar way of saying that in Old English. But the word wart, W-O-R-T, not like wart, like the things that you get on your hands and fingers and feet and stuff like that. Um, that would be different. The different word is philologically related though, but also philologically related to the word wart is the word word. That's right. The word word. And so the word wart meaning plant or healing plant from an old English perspective has more than just a materialistic value to it. Talking about people who had a strong connection with nature and the metaphysical representations of what it meant to have something that could be healing from maybe even a spiritual point of view. And the same thing can be said about word, how a word has the 
is is a transmission of where does it come from it comes from it comes from inspiration where does that come from these are all metaphysical things we are speaking and creating into this world a vibratory pattern that's going to bonk against this microphone it's going to seed ideas into minds it can be something that can, can heal it can be something that can create it could be something that can destroy and have like I could say something really I could say something right now that would make people uh, feel like they're harmed right so that's what the 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 power and the metaphysical quality of wart of word and all both of these words are also words are related to the to the word w y r d which is where we get the word weird. So wart, word, weird. Um, wart, W-Y-R-T, is also the, the, where we get the, the word wart. So weird, weird, W-Y-R-D, or weird. Um, that's another Anglo-Saxon, you know, old English word. And basically, it has, a, it means supernatural or uncanny simply unexpected. So <laughs> that's all relevant here. Let's I this is this is a weird podcast. I like to keep it that way. Weird healing plants, words, weird wart words. That's what this herb of the week is all about. Let's keep it going with the weirdness, with the wartiness, with the words and talk about the solstice and how that plant how this plant is relevant to the solstice. So this plant blooms on the solstice, the summer solstice, that is, here in Milwaukee, where I live. If I go out into the wild, I can go out a day before my annual herb walk I do on the summer solstice. And I'm looking around, I'm scouting, I know there's St. John's Ward around here. I talk about it every year. Where is it? I can't find it. And I guess, I don't know, maybe I won't talk about it this year. Maybe it won't be there. And then I'll go out at the evening of the summer solstice, like I do every year for my herb walk, and boom, right in the middle of the trail, there it is, off the trail a little bit. Yes, it just opened up, it just bloomed for the first time, and I get so excited every year at the herb walk. Yes, here it is, you guys. This is awesome. This is perfectly relevant. And then I'll tell them all this story that I'm about to tell you. And the summer solstice, for those of you who don't know, it's the highest point of the sun. So if you look out every day and you like, let's say you put a camera outside and you took a picture of the same spot on the sky every day for at like noon, um, then eventually, and you put all those pictures together, you'll have this overlapping, what looks like a figure eight that's called an analema. And at the highest point of that figure eight of that analema, that is the summer sol solstice. So the soul sun stays stis sun stays it stays in that spot for a little bit before it starts tracking backwards down 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 again so it's at the highest point of the sky it's almost directly overhead at the high at high noon and then at high noon on the winter solstice where the where the sun is at its lowest point it's only a few degrees above the horizon it's just like you know it's like pointing straight ahead and then up a little bit that's as high as it gets in the winter whereas a above head in the summer. So does that make sense? We could just say it's the longest day of the year and the shortest night. And these are all very, very important spiritual things. I mean, it's not just a materialist, oh, you know, we have more light. We're talking about the light, 
the light of the world, the thing that gives <laughs> plants the energy to grow, that gives us all life. Like we can't live without that in the sky. It's not, it ain't happening. Um, so it's an, it's the most important part of our realm, really the sun. And so honoring that on this day on the solstice is important. It was important to a lot of people who had this connection with nature, but also recognizing what's going on um, energetically around the solstice, what's going on, how these plants are playing energetically with the solstice and what it all means to capturing these ideas and maybe distilling that essence into medicine. And that's what I'm going to talk about with solstice wart, St. John's wart, or we could also call it St. John's weird. Going back to the binomial for a second, the Latin name, if you will, hypericum. So hyper in that word means above. It means over. And icum, I-C-U-M, means icon. So here's a plant that means above all icons. Icon also means idol. It means something that is created, a fiction. It's something, a fiction that directs us away from what is true because there is no lie in nature. So a fictional thing that takes us away from our connection to source, our connection to authentic health, our connection to God, to the grand author, to the, the, <laughs> the leader of the dance, if you will. And that's what an idol is. That's what an icon is. That's why it's important. It was important to the, uh, to the people in the Old Testament and practice these things that said, I think it was the second commandment. It was like, don't make any false idols. And I think in a, in a modern interpretation where we're all about the material aspect, we're like, oh, that meant that, that God didn't want people to like be in a prostate position and get on you know their knees and worship golden calves and things like that because he was jealous he wanted the glory but he didn't want people worshiping the the metal gods and the clay figures but if you think about it a little bit more philosophically it's it's the things that we entertain in our mind so an idol could be a favorite politician which is i i always like to qualify the word politician with Creepy psychopath. So a creepy psychopath politician. I know that that's redundant because they all are, but somebody can have a favorite one or a least favorite one. That is also idol worship saying, oh, so-and-so is the reason for our troubles. If we, if we only get this other idol in, then they, everything will go our way. And of course it doesn't. So, and that's because that's idolatry, uh, uh, idolizing a diet, um, or making an icon of the identity of the diet such as I am a, you know, Western price, Western price, whatever, raw liver eater. I am a vegan, whatever. That's, idol that's idolatry. Um, the expectation of how another person should behave. That's all, all idolatry. As if, as if like another person is a statue or a, a claymation figure that you can, you know, we should be able to animate and they got to act appropriately in these ways. We're not. We're living men and women with free will. Um, we're not Sims. So that's all idolatry. Just even thinking that, oh, why people should pick up after themselves at the park. <laughs> yeah, that could be idolatry. St. John's wort is a plant above that. 
So um, I think one of the icons that looshes the most soul is simply just blind belief. Some it's the surface narrative of the news and other people. It's just like a band or sports, the sports team, sports team won, sports team lost. Oh, um, scientism and other religions. Yeah. I said that scientism and other religions, pharmaceuticals, just blind beliefs in these types of things. Computer gen- generated images of, of uh, space from NASA. They're all computer generated. They're all, <laughs> that's a one-to-one definition of an icon something that is fabricated and that's what you're we're always given from nasa they're always fabrications they're never photographs by the way and they'll tell you that they're always images they're always icons something that takes us away from nature something that takes us away from what is true so an honest look through the lens of a a grounded worldview with a coherent epistemology and metaphysics and morality and ethics and um well one will probably be confronted with their own vulnerability to, let's say, placing the things that we love, the people that we love the most upon a a false pedestal in in my mind. That's something that I always have to struggle with. Maybe the idolatry of my family, maybe the idolatry of my wife and my, my child. This is just an honest perspective. I think it's very natural for a I'll speak for myself here. I think it's I think it's dif, difficult for me at times to realize that I'm creating idols and fictions in my mind of people who are close to me have this idea of what they are and what they should be and how they're going to be and what they would do in this situation and how they would help me in this other situation. And then maybe finding disappointment in that, maybe finding pain and working through things like that. That's all due to idol worship. That's my own thing. But I think it's something that <laughs> I notice a lot of people do because a lot of people are on the surface level of idol worship with creepy psychopath politicians and stuff like that. And I'm not talking to my audience here. I'm talking about the state of the world in general, not those necessarily who are listening. But just to close that thought, above all icons, a plant above all icons, above this fiction, to help us reconnect with our source, to help us reconnect with what is true. That is the spiritual, metaphysical, medicinal wisdom of this plant. So let me lay that down first, because I believe, this is my personal belief, that the subtle, the most (laughs) hard to describe thing informs the gross and begets the gross. So spirit becomes matter. That's the way, a, a better way of putting it. Spirit becomes matter. And so these ideas about <laughs> idols and icons and um, concepts and mental concepts beget form. And then we create them into physical reality through our words, through our health, through our illness, through our disease, through the the actions that we take in this world. It's all informed. And so this brings me to the Doctrine of Signatures. In my seven-month program with my students, we have a whole segment dedicated to the Doctrine of Signatures because it's a really important way for me to teach. It's really uh, part of my inherent philosophy. For those of you who are just listening to this podcast or getting kind of thrown in, there's some. it gets peppered in here and there, and you might still wonder, what is that? It's a really philosophical um, it's important to know the f- philosophy 
but you don't have to necessarily. I mean, you, the doctrine of signatures can be from a materialistic point of view, um, a way of memorizing how people like of ancient times or whatever used to memorize a certain plant and its healing virtues and capacities for healing through little memory devices. Like for example, dandelion flowers are yellow and so is bile. So that means dandelions are good for the liver. And of course they are, but that doesn't always work because, and this is how it's often discredited in like Wikipedia and stuff like that. But also, you know, some other plants that are yellow aren't good for the liver. So therefore it's wrong. Ha ha ha. Got them. And that's a category error. That's a philosophical category error because the doctrine of signatures isn't to be interpreted from a logical um, objective left brain point of view. The, the doctrine of signatures is inherently poetic, abstract, right brained, um, personal. It has a subjective quality to it. Um, it has a way that connects us with the relationship with nature and the creator. Um, you get the, another word for this commingling, this w way of um, this language of green speak, it's called, is also, yeah, green speak, green tongue, lingua vert, as opposed to lingua overt. Lingua overt is this what we're doing right now. I'm overtly speaking using, you know, my my left brain to form thoughts and project them out in a coherent way, as opposed to the right brain kind of way that I like to sit in nature and just be and listen and be tuned in and kind of have a more receptive um, interaction. So the doctrine of signatures, whose signature, who's the doctrine, what is all this? And in um, this kind of comes from the name doctrine of signatures comes from Paracelsus who was writing about all this stuff and, I'll get into that another time about Paracelsus, but the signature, like when I make a document, when I created a document, I've used my thoughts, I've used my intention, I've used my, uh, I've thought about all the different avenues, I've looked in the future, I've looked into the past, I'm trying to figure out um, the best document I can write. When I do, I put my name on it in my signature. That's my signature, that's my document. I'm making a claim. I'm stating what's what it is, or I'm writing my signature upon somebody else's document because I agree with it. When I make a painting, I don't paint, but what if I were to do something like that? Uh, whatever my art is, I, you would make a signature. If you even if you write a card to somebody, get well soon. These are my thoughts. These are my intentions. This is this is really what I mean. And I put my little signature on it. Even if I didn't sign it, my essence is inherently bound into that creation. But it's nice to sign it because then everybody knows, oh, it was this guy that sent it, that sent the card. How nice or whatever. Um, and the same is, is said for the creator of all things. Creator of all things created all things and put his little signature, her, the signature of the creator into this creation. And that signature is a form and is a function. And these form and function isn't willy nilly. It doesn't just, nature doesn't just make up its mind one day that it's, oh, I'm bored of making red apples. I'm going to make a blue apple and I'm going to make it shaped like a ice cream cone. I'm going to make it with a cone point instead of an apple. Cause it's going to be, it's going to look cool. It, there's a law that, that all that form and function um, are precipitated into this material form 
based on the energetic blueprint of its creator. And so you have the creator, you have the most, the most abstract, the most, the hardest to name. <laughs> the Tao that can be named is not the true Tao. And then it precipitates into more and more vibratory states. That vibration becomes denser and denser and denser. And then once it becomes material, it has this blueprint in it. So that's why the apple is shaped. Like if you cut it, if you cut an apple, bisect it, if you put it on a table and just cut it down the middle, it's going to look like a tor toroid field. It's going to look like the, the, the same exact field that's around our heart, the same exact field that this realm is. It's all electromagnetic toroid that's built into the apple. It has to be. Um, if you took that apple and bisected it sideways, like if you made a horizontal cut on it, then it would have the star, the star of Venus, the same star that you see in the sky. If you track Venus over eight years, it's this five petaled flower. That's it. That is, um, the blueprint of that creation. Now, these types of things are signatures and they tell us about certain things about our body. They tell us certain things about um, and we have that those same exact functions and form forming our organs, forging, forming um, the the things that bring us together into our form. Can't we cannot uh, one day say, you know what? I'm tired of two arms. I'm just gonna I'm gonna grow a fourth and fifth, and I'm gonna put them on my coming out of my butt or whatever. It doesn't happen that way. It always has to follow this pattern. This is the the rules. The and 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 have you ever heard that um, um, nature follows the path of least resistance? That's because these blueprints are in place. They can't just get outside of these blueprints. And those blueprints are the blueprints of the creator. So that's what the doctrine of signatures is. In um, it's a sophisticated science. It could take an entire lifetime to study. And all and like I'm always being humbled with more and more to learn. It's also more than just a reference for the herbal practitioner. As I note in this quote that I found from Paracelsus, he says, the stars are the model, the blueprint for all plants. Each herb is from its side an earthly star and belongs to the sky. And each star is a heavenly plant in spirit. So he draws our attention to the cosmological importance of the study of the green language. This is important to this is the thing about knowing yourself knowing your relationship within this world how these things can help how this this other creation can help what is it here for what's the purpose what's the meaning um what are we here for all of this is can be known and observed not maybe not known maybe never known but um we become closer to the question we become closer to that answer by being aware of these patterns in nature. That's what it is. It's, um, so the principle, the hermetic principles of correspondence, which is as above, so below as within, so without. And in that axiom as above, so below, we're talking about the energies of the things that are happening here on the ground and how they have an impact up in the heavens and how the heavens have an impact what's going on up there has an impact on what's going on down here. The same exact vibrational frequency. And then as within, so without, we have more of a understanding of those from a pra practical standpoint of working with the plants. So 
plant that looks like a liver. It has liver-shaped leaf or something like that. Okay, we have a liver. <laughs> it looks like that. Um, but how do I know about the liver? How do I know about these things without using my um, left brain to dissect you know, a, a cadaver? This is where the poetic side of it comes in. It's not always about looking um, at the model of the dissected body. It's about knowing oneself, know thyself, and our role as spiritual beings within a realm of other spiritual beings that habitate, cohabitate with us, including the plants. That's more of the philosophical answer. But yeah, it's just pattern recognition as well. Pattern recognition in all the ways that we can interpret patterns, all the ways that patterns in, speak to us. Sometimes we hear a bird song and, it, and we want to follow that bird song. And all of a sudden we find ourselves in a place where the day unfolds into a, a, a greater mystery because we just followed some sort of golden thread. And other times there's clearly an objective sound that is leading us in a direction. Both of them are ways of informing our experience in this world, but one or the other is not more or less relevant based on its objectivity or subjectivity. Hope that makes sense. And the same can be said about the doctrine of signatures. So let's look at some of these signatures for the St. John's wort, its form, its function, how that represents what it's going to do, what it's going to help with all these types of things. So let me see here. The first one to me that's the most obvious is that it blooms on the solstice, which is the day of the highest power of the sun with the most vitality, the most light. So St. John's Ward itself has a relationship with this light, this spiritual uh, vitality, if you will. And I think that's really relevant. And we'll talk about that a little bit more going forward here. Another signature that I think is really beautiful is re the relationship with the sun is the flower, the way that the flower looks. It's like bright solar yellow. It's got five petals with these little filaments projecting out the stamens that are that um, to me, they look like little fiber optic cables that are capable of carrying all of that light and all that information. And it just looks like radiance, very radiant from the sun. Um, the leaf. Now, this is a really interesting signature. In Hypericum perforatum, if you hold up the leaf to the sun or to a light, you can see inside of the leaf there are what look like little holes, they're little spaces in this leaf and in that are trapped this essential oils and healing compounds that are in the leaf itself so this is a really cool signature to me this is a signature that shows how saint john's wort can help repair the light that is leaking out from the organism and and repair the etheric boundary that holds in light there's a really cool science that studies biophotons, biophoton emission. And in this, they have like really fancy laboratory equipment and stuff like that, fancy cameras. But what they're able to find is that they'll take an experiment. Um, they'll take a leaf, let's say like a regular old cottonwood leaf, pluck it off the tree, put it in this fancy camera, this uh, spectrometer camera, and they'll take a picture and it looks just like a leaf, regular leaf. Looks like it. Okay. Then they'll take a leaf off the same tree and then they'll cause it some stress. They'll like 
put some holes in it as if it's being, you know, replicating the insects or biting it, and they'll punch it a few times, call it a jerk, say that it's stupid. And then I'll take a picture of it, and around the leaf, now all of a sudden there's like this light. These biophotons are starting to leave. Then they'll take a, the same tree, the same area of the tree, same time of day. They'll take a leaf off and then they'll leave the leaf in the car and, you know, in a, it's a hot car and the, the car and they're like blasting rap music and all this stuff and they crumble it up and they throw it away and then they take it out of the garbage and then they put it into the, the camera at the laboratory and then the leaf is just like glowing with all of this biophotons. So what these experiments show is that when something is under stress and it's got a lot of stress, then all of these biophotons, the light that's within the organism, leaves, goes away. It goes back into the area where light goes, but it's no longer within the, the plant. So now relate that to a person. A person, you could, this experiment can be done with a person too. You could, people, just like when you put your face on the copy machine and hit copy, um, and then, you know, it'll, it'll scan your face and make a kind of a, that's what they do. They'll put like their hand in this machine and the hand just looks like a regular hand. Maybe it's glowing a little bit around, um, where the wedding ring is or something because there's a little bit of tension there. And then they'll poke somebody in the hand, um, and they'll put the, the hand in there and you can see a lot of the light leaving from where the poke is. And then they'll, they'll like, you know, they won't, they're not going to like smash somebody's hand with a hammer, but they're going to do these things that elicit like a stress response. And then now you could bring that up into other departments. Like let's just say our organism, our body, mind, self, I'm under a lot of stress continually. I have this light that's within me and this light that is, the, like my inner sun, it's my capacity to heal, it's my capacity to generate, it's my capacity to generate new life and, um, and create. And that's all leaving because of the prolonged amount of stress that I've been under. Maybe it is pain, maybe it's stress due to an injury, like this debilitating injury that just keeps nagging and nagging and it just keeps kind of sucking out the light. Or maybe it is a spiritual type of loosing, if you will, in the same way that we were talking about earlier with icons and idolatry and just kind of uh, giving away our energy by um, consenting to prop up something that isn't actually true, that doesn't actually represent what's true. And maybe it's just something mon mundane and simple like broken heart you know, going, you're grieving. And then we build this types of things into the language. You look gloomy. Well, what is gloomy? It means without light. It's kind of like dark, but we say, we say, Oh, you look gloomy as in you look sad. I'd like, I'd like to cheer you up. Could say, I'd like to, <laughs> I'd like to add more light to your life. I'd like to lighten your burden. So the leaf of St. John's word has that signature in it. It's got this signature that tells us that that's what it's going to do it's going to fortify our etheric i always whenever i'm doing my qigong i'm always picturing that i'm tonifying my this like 
egg shape that's around me. It's like golden egg. It's like spiraling up like a Fibonacci, like pine cone all around my body. And I'm always like examining it when I'm doing my energy work, seeing if there's any missing, you know, little plates or something like that, seeing where that, that, that energy egg that I have my little bubble, my personal space where, where things like maybe somebody shot some, some arrows at me through some shade and they were kind of stuck in my back. And now they're, you know, they, they're not physical arrows. They're just like little words or things or things that somebody says, things, these little pen prickly things that we hold on to. And then they just kind of stick around in the field. And now they're little like holes for our bubble where these, where the light starts to leak out. That's what St. John's wort can do. It can help heal that up. It can help repair that. We could work with St. John's wort in the way of a spiritual way where we're using it in this way, where we're, where we're cultivating our energetic boundaries. Or we can work with St. John's wort in a material way where we're actually working on how it can help improve our physical nervous system to help adapt and not let the light of our body leave from pain, the pain that we're in, and the whole spectrum in between. Of course, I'm going to get to the medicine making in a bit here. But I just love that signature. I love the signature of the leaf. Now, this is for Hypericum perforatum. Not every St. John's wort. There's a whole bunch of different kinds of St. John's wort or Hypericum plants. But not all of them have the perfer, the hole, foratum, which is leaf, which means leaf hole. And uh, so that's a signature, I think, specifically to Hypericum perforatum. And that makes that one of the medicinal things. But does that mean that somebody was asking me the other day about St. John's wort because they have St. John's wort in there. Uh, they have a different species of it. And to me, it's, um, it's kind of getting to know that plant for its signatures. And it's probably not going to have that same presentation of the hole in the leaf, but maybe it will. Check it out. Form a relationship. Look at it subjectively and see if it's speaking to you that way. Now, what I just mentioned is objective. So an objective observation. You put it something in the machine, it gives you this reading. Okay, but but then I crossed it over into something that isn't measurable. I'm talking about our vital force, our life mm -hmm. force, this light that we have inside of our body. At least we don't have like the equipment, the the machinery equipment, the technology perhaps to to measure that. Um, but we do have the equipment to measure that if we cultivate our spiritual sight and our spiritual senses. And that's what I'm talking about here. Okay, moving on to another part of the plant or another signature that I find. If you take the flower and you, a fresh flower, and you crush it up into your fingers and smash it up, it stains your fingers blood red. Not blood red, wine red. It's like, it's like a wine, dark wine red. So that's definitely a signature because it does mimic the blood. It looks like the blood. And St. John's wort is high in bioflavonoids and other compounds that are really helpful for our circulatory system. So it's going to have an, a relationship with the blood, with the circulatory system in particular. But when we see the when we see blood, typically when 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 anyone sees blood, they see life or they see death. They see the humanity of something, even if it's an animal. There's a relation. There's like a a familiarity, um, what, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, a sympathy. We have a sympathy for things that are bleeding or that have the same like red, warm, warm blood that we have. 
animals like cold-blooded creatures like reptiles and stuff like that they don't care about their kids they just have they put their little eggs in the sand and they swim away good luck (laughs) fend for yourself Um, hopefully daddy doesn't eat you that's the kind of relationship that uh, cold-blooded creatures have warm-blooded creatures like ourselves and like you know mammals and even birds and stuff they we care for our our young we care for our each other have partnerships um communities, life partners, things like that. But in in particular, this idea of sympathy. Um, And so sympathetic resonance, helping, whenever I see the signature of St. John's Worth, it looks like blood. I think about sympathetic resonance in harmony with um, oneself, in harmony with with other, um, and then like as as a heart space kind of thing. But also it could just be like circulatory, moving the blood, moving it around. But if you expand the concept of circulatory outside of the blood vessels and you make circulatory mean something like how um, your vitality circulates, how your personality circulates um, through your community, through your family and healing that, not just like um, the healing, like now I have this abundance of, of vitality. Now I can share it outwards with my, with my family. Now I can share it outwards. I have that more abundance of that. Now I can share it outwards with my community and so on. That's the message that I get when I see that color, especially when you smash it in your fingers like that. So you'll see that in preparations and St. John's work preparations. And to me, finding that signature is an indication of good medicine. Like this is what I want to find if I'm foraging. If I take a St. John's wort leaf or sorry, a flower, if I take a St. John's wort flower and I crush it in my finger and it doesn't do that, then I'm going to move on to find one that does. I'm not going to harvest that one. That to me is the is also a, um, a note about how capable and uh, qualified this medicine is. I'm lo- I'm going to look for you know, many things when I'm foraging. I'm looking at the environment. I'm looking at the time of day. I'm looking at the sun. I'm looking at the day of the week. <laughs> I'm looking at the, the maps to see if there's sites that were previously here that may be poisoned or I, there's there's a lot there's a lot of stuff, but when it comes down to like really focusing that resolution in to the very particular plant, I'm gonna I'm gonna look for my foundational actions that I know to be true in St. John's Wort. It's slightly aromatic. I want to make sure that that's true. Slightly astringent. I want to make sure that's true, and then also that that red color that's got to be there. That's a deal or no deal kind of a signature for me. And another signature of St. John's Wort that I think is pretty interesting going back out a little bit on the resolution and and looking at the environment is there is a particular type of beetle that only eats St. John's wort it seems you'll find um, whenever I find stands of St. John's wort I'm finding these like iridescent beetles they look like scare like little tiny scarabs and they're iridescent they have all these colors in them so we can think about the spirit signature of the plant as in like what are the animal associations? What are the, the associations? Like, is there any animals that like this plant? Do they, does this plant look like animals? Do, do animals look for this plant for food? And then recognize what the, the totem spirit of that, of that animal is. And for St. John's Ward, it's this beetle. It's this scarab. So the scarab represents the third eye, represents the pineal gland. It represents um, the the hemispheres of the brain 
and um, many, many ideas like that. So of course, if you look at like Egyptian mythology and Egyptian hieroglyphics, you're going to see the scarab beetle, which is sacred because the same form that made the scarab beetle is the same form that created the brain and the way that the brain looks. So that's pretty cool. And then also the iridescent colors, which is just really, really interesting to me. It's again, there's this like prismic light idea that's going on here. It looks like oil slick. And the word scarab is also a word of cancer, as in cancer the crab, crabs. He is an anagram for scarab. But in a previous um, iteration of the zodiac, instead of using a crab, which is protect, it's got a protective layer, it's got these pinchers, it's conveying this um, uh, archetype of something that has a protective coating on it. Instead of it being a, a crab, previously it was the scarab, which makes sense. It's the same same archetypical idea. It's got a nice coating. It's got this nice exoskeleton that protects the emotional heart and emotional mind, and just like Cancer the Crab does. So St. John's Wort, it's blooming, the solstice. When does the solstice begin? It begins the first day of Cancer the Crab. Boom. Just fits very nicely to the initiate of the mysteries and pattern recognition. Not everyone can see it. That's fine. That's fine. But if you're initiated, if you got it, if you got eyes to see, it starts to make a lot of sense. I know it seems like a stretch to those who aren't. But but anyway, it's fun. Let's see. What else? Uh, St. John. Who is that guy? St. John. Well, maybe it's not a guy. Maybe it's St. Joan the initiate of pattern recognition of the mysteries. And if somebody isn't initiated or doesn't have eyes to see, that's fine. It's, um, it might seem like a stretch to them, but to those who do, it makes a lot of sense. Be the world becomes very playful and fun and informative and interactive and engaging that way. All right, so those are a few signatures of St. John's Wort. Let's see here. Um, St. John, who's that guy? Well, St. John was well, St. John the Baptist. There's two St. Johns in the New Testament. There's St. John the Apostle, and he's the one that wrote like the book of Revelations. He's the one that wrote the book of John. And then there's St. John the Baptist, who was a different guy. This guy was um, a prophet, and he was hanging out with um, Jesus too. But basically, St. John the Baptist was a wild man. He was like... Um, you know, he's covering himself with like skins and he was living out in the wilderness and he eat locust and honey surviving off of that. He's got his feet, his bare feet in the river Jordan and people were coming to him. And they're like, this guy's awesome. He's totally a man of God. This guy's the real deal. Like baptize me. And he would baptize and be like, Oh, I'm so much better. And he's like, no, look, um, I'm just make, I'm just like paving the way. There's going to be another one that comes after me, and, and he's going to be better. He's going to be way better. And they're like, huh, that can, how could I be? You're the best. It's like, it's the way. And so um, the story goes with St. John. Like, um, he, eventually he was, he was just like, because he was uh, outspoken and a wild man and lived close to the land and was able to speak his heart and mind and was um, close and connected with God and sent from heaven, he was calling out all of the 
psychopathic, creepy politicians of the day. In particular, one of them was King Herod. King Herod was the king of the Jews, well, Israelis, like kind of like the modern day Hebrews. So that back then, and he was the king back in Israel. And he didn't like that. And so he imprisoned him. And even though it was like a pretty big political move to do that, because everybody loved John, like the, you know, the church loved John, the, all the people loved John, all the animals loved John, everybody loved John. And so I was like, oh, are you sure you want to do that, King? And he's like, okay, so figure it out. I don't know what to do. And this guy was a total scumbag, Herod. He... Um, divorced his wife and then married his brother's ex-wife. So, um, and then (laughs) on his birthday, Herod's birthday, his brother's ex-wife, who is now his wife, her daughter was like dancing for Herod and it pleased him as it says. And, and he's like, Oh my God, I'll do anything to make you happy. What do you want? What do you want? And she's like, I want St. John the Baptist head on a platter. And he's like, he's like, do it. We'll do it. We're going to do it just for you, baby. And so this is how, this is like why I think that the, the Bible is a great living Testament for all time, because that same kind of story happens throughout modern times too. Psychopathic, creepy politicians doing all kinds of disgusting things. Um, and then we'll do anything to satisfy just like the most disgusting, baseless things, carnal desires, um, and including, you know, executing pr- uh, political prisoners. And so they did. And then she was like, okay, whatever. And she dumped his head into, a, um, into some like feces or something like that. And so that's the story. That's how John the Baptist story comes to an end. Um, he was beheaded by Herod. And, um, so how does this, what does this have to do with the plant? Well, why is the plant named St. John's wort? Well, there's a, there's a time of the year that has been dedicated as the feast of St. John, but it was dedicated by the Vatican. So the Vatican back in time was this, the Vatican is the first corporation, the first, like they, they make all these corporate claims and, and they have a CEO and everything. Okay. So they're the model of what is now like your type of like Monsanto kind of corporation, that type of thing. That is been, that's an ancient model that's been going back since the Vatican. So the Vatican is like, look, we got to get, we got expand. we got shareholders. We got to get our, um, you know, got to get our gold. We got to get our money and stuff. And so how are we going to, well, if we take over the people in this area, they're not really going to like our new, strategies. So the marketing team has decided that maybe we adopt some of their um, pagan holidays into our own and we'll just kind of like mix match them. And then we'll just give them a little bit of marketing and then they'll start to celebrate them because we are, because our marketing team has determined that uh, they're not really going to like our product unless we at least give them their holidays. So they're like, okay, sounds good because these people are really connected to the land. And so they're looking outside and they're observing the solstice and they're observing the height of the sun. They said, you know what? Let's just change that little uh, word. What do we call it? Solstice? Yeah. Um, hmm, yeah. Here's a new updated version. We'll call it the Feast of St. John. How about that? Yeah, cool. 
All right, you can keep it. Keep it and celebrate. We'll call it the Feast of St. John. Boom, everybody's happy. Okay, a little bit of uh, tension around the uh, the other solstice here. Okay, what are you guys calling that? Yule? Okay, you're, everybody's getting inside and kind of uh, kindling the hearth inside and trying to bring back the power of the sun. Uh, how about we call that Christmas? Yeah, yeah, we'll call that Christmas. Of course, biblical scholars, nobody was going to uh, agree that... Um, <laughs> there's the animals are in the field at in December time. You know, it's everyone kind of ag- agrees that um, Christmas is just arbitrarily placed there, and that more most likely it was around September. In my opinion, it was September 11th. That's when Christ was born. But anyway, <laughs> or the Feast of Trumpets. But anyway, um, that's the that's the idea. There's that the there's this integration of pagan holidays, Easter, okay, the, the return of the Eastern star um, to, the, to the night star, many, many things like that, okay, um, Day of the Dead, that's a pagan holiday, but they call it All Saints Day, just so, because they're like, oh, the marketing team has decided that if we want to have a nice, strong holdout in Mexico, then we just got to, we got to change the name around a little bit, we can let them keep their holiday, it's corporate. That's it. It's just a corporate thing. So it doesn't, I, I don't mean to denigrate any of these holidays. I think that they're all special. Um, and I think that they're all worth uh, connecting with our cultures and with our ancestors and our traditions. Um, I think it's also important to realize the, the multitude of synchronicities that these holidays have in order to enjoy more power from the ritual. So St. John, in addition to perhaps being a living man, I don't know. You know, some people will, will, will argue that he was. Other people will say, oh, it's, it's a myth. Um, for my part, I think, I think it's both. figure that is pouring out water onto some fish and it's kind of creating this river. Sometimes that's a man. It's most often depicted as a man, the Aquarian man. Okay. And so what is that? What is that water? Well, it moves into what looks like the Milky Way, the river. So there's the river. There's his, he's pouring it onto his feet. Aquarius rules the ankles and the, and the calves. And Pisces rules the feet. So he's kind of pouring it onto these fish. So there's the fish. Uh, he's saying that there's a, uh, something. Uh, the um, He's baptizing with water. 
this Aquarian man, I see something that is often left out of the conversation of the historicity of the Bible. Is this a myth? Is this a living person? And that is the relationship between the passages and the poetry of the verse of St. John from the Bible. Remember verse poetry, how it's describing something not to be taken logically, but to entertain our imagination. And that is the language of nature. And the connection between the poetry and the verse of St. John in the, in the Bible to the heavens, the stars. Which ones? Well, in the night sky, when you look out at this time of year, <laughs> at the middle of the night, what is going to be the most prominent constellation that you're going to see if you're looking at the, if you're looking at the zodiacal story that's moving along the ecliptic? Any guesses? It's going to be Aquarius right there in the center. Aquarius is opposite of Leo on the, on the um, zodiac. So Aquarius is often depicted as a figure that's pouring out water, kind of splashing it on his feet and splashing it on the fish, which is Pisces, <laughs> which is a symbol of Jesus, by the way, the fish. And this, uh, it's connected. He's got his, his back to this river that's in the sky, which is the Milky Way. Just a little bit to, uh, to the south of him is the constellation of the locust. And a little bit to the north of him is a constellation of the beehive. So there's the locust and there's the honey. There's the river, Jordan. And there's the baptizer. Aquarius, the Aquarian man, it's often called the Aquarian man. It's a, it's a man. Sometimes it's a woman, depending on which part of the world or whatever. But um, in the West, it's the Aquarian man baptizing, um, taking away the sins of the night, I guess you could say, and making way for something greater to come ahead. As the summer moves on, and this, uh, this figure, which looks like a, a man that's kneeling down, by the way, um, moves through the sky later in the summer, the first thing that will go below the horizon is his head, which the figure of his head. So there's his head being decapitated. And as that's happening, another giant heroic figure is emerging in the sky. And that's Orion. So he's making way for something greater, a greater heroic myth. That's Orion. And that all, that's also Christ. There's a strong connection between these, this story and what we see in the Bible and the story that we see in the sky. Now, just from my perspective, taking it a little bit further, it's not just, you know, it's not just everything in the scriptures is astrotheological. I think that astrotheology is a major part and it is encoded in it, but I think it's a living text. I think it has a lot to do with um, another, what's the acronym for Bible stand for? Basic instructions before leaving earth. I think there's so much more. I think there's a law, there's the law, there's health. I could see human anatomy in the Bible in the chapters as well. It's, it's brilliant. It's not just the Bible. It's, it's all of the scriptures. If you know what you're looking for and you know that these patterns and these codes and the poetry is speaking to your imagination, you find it in all the major scriptures. But if we're doing that hermetic principle thing as above, so below, and we're, and we're learning about the 
story of the stars and the story of how they're interacting and the play that's unfolding through these verses, then we can also learn about the story of what's below, of the medicine. And so I think that's really cool. I think it's super cool that we have this plant named St. John's wort that's really connecting this story altogether. So learn that a little bit. Maybe go back if you want to and read some of the some of these passages in the book of, I think the book of uh, Matthew chapter 11 is a good one. That tells the story about what happens with John at the end of his life and then the beginning of Matthew, it talks about the the, the uh, John, the beginning of John's life and everything like that. So yeah, well, I guess just to wrap that part up, what that's all telling me is that St. John's wart, the plant, is connected with this I this story that is play that's played out over and over and over. Do we have the same stories playing out over and over? Because just like we have the same form and functions playing out over and over, there's <laughs> there's only like a couple of stories really. And they're all different versions of all these same stories, but the same stories are reflected in what we could see happening in the sky, these same stories in the sky. So this plant is going to be really beneficial for um, those who seek to know the truth, seek to protect themselves when they're speaking the truth, when they are um, and uh, giving the strength to maintain your faith, even under the most horrible circumstances. People can take away anything from you in the material world, but they can't take away your faith or, or your soul unless you give it. So that's the, to me, that is what St. John's wort plant helps remind us of, that we can hold that light, that sacred light, the light from source, from nature. We don't have to give it away. And anytime it is given away, it's through consent. St. John the Baptist could have been released. But when, he, <laughs> but when he was confronting Herod, he was like, you're sick. You're a psychopath. It's disgusting what you do. And of course, that's what I, I mean, he was telling the truth. He could have been like, yeah, uh, I'll never come back here again. I'll, I'll just say that Herod's the best. And, or I, I just won't even ever mention your name. How about that? But he didn't. He just kept on with the truth. He held his light. He held what he knew was true. He rose above all of the idolatry and all of the worship. And so that's what St. John's word. Now let's look at some, um, let's look at some medicinal applications of this plant here. Okay. Some of the virtues and we'll start from the subtle and then we'll make our way to the gross. I love St. John's wort as a protective plant in that way. So every year I'll gather some, I said gather, I'll gather some St. John's wort and I'll hang it upside down and I'll put it above the doorway of my shop and I'll put it above the doorway of my home. Another word for doorway is portal, by the way, like an entrance to a different realm. So moving from outside realm to the inside realm, from the public space to the private space. I think that this is a really, the threshold between the public and the private is a, is a, place that is worthy of our attention and our protection. And St. John's Wort really is, provides a great protection of that. So uh, El Portal, La Porta, the door, the doorway. 
it's a mundane sounding word when you put it in English. So think about that word and what it means, the portal. Think about what is public and what is private. What you, the face that you uh, make in your public domain and the face that you make in your private domain, the words that you use in public, the words that you use in private, they're completely different. What you would allow uh, other people to do around you in public versus what you would allow to happen in private. So let St. John's wort be a guardian of the um, holding in that light of the most sanctified temple of your, of your privacy, of your private domain, of your home, or whatever other portal that you wish to, uh, that whatever doorway you wish to um, move through, but also protect. Okay, so St. John's wort for that. Of course, you know, you can burn it, you can make, put it added to smudges, you can make it a little incense and do some sort of ceremonies like that too. But I really like hanging it because I've seen the power of St. John's Word. I've seen people coming into my shop, stand, they have, they come into my shop with this energy that I can feel from outside. Like I could feel something about to happen. Somebody's, because I keep my space so tidy my, uh, and I'm talking about my psychic space. I keep it really tidy that I could feel disturbances. And, uh, so if somebody is coming in and they'll stand underneath that St. John's wort and they'll hesitate, they'll turn around. Sometimes they'll kind of struggle to move through as if like they're moving through like a, a membrane. But to me, um, I, I notice <laughs> I do it every year. And I notice when the St. John's word is like losing its power because more and more, let's say unwelcome people into my private sanctuary will start to find their way in. Um, it's like, get, it's like having a, a hole, um, in your, in your tent or something like that. And you're getting like mosquitoes and moths coming in. Um, so you'll just know, you'll start to know like, Oh, okay, well, I got to mend that. So I got to go out and pick more St. John's wort. So I do that every year and it's always around the 12 month mark before I put it, put the next one back up that I start to notice more and more strange things. So that works. It works. Another way that I like to work with St. John's wort is how I described in the signature of the leaf where I feel like energetically my my energetic bubble is starting to leak out light. Like what if I made a post and it like attracted a lot of trolls and haters and for whatever reason, somebody says something and it just kind of sticks with me and ah, oh, can't get that out of my head. Or it just like the light just feels like it's, I should be present, but I just keep getting pulled back to this negative comment or I have a, you know, hundred percent five point star, you know, reviews on Google. And then there's this one, <laughs> And I can't, I don't know why, but it's just like, I'm just giving that energy to this thing. And it just, it isn't like me to do that. Or maybe, it, maybe that's you that says that. So that's what I love, love to use St. John's wort for. I'll, um, I like St. John's wort hydrosol, like as a mist that I'll spray around. I can just hold a little bit of St. John's wort and I do my energetic practice. I could just um, sit next to St. John's wort and ask it to kind of re- um, reboot my shield shields up 100%. I can imagine St. John's wort to do this. That's a awesome way of working with it too. Just imagining it where you can get a little bit of St. John's wort oil. Like maybe it's like, you know, it's been going on for a long time and, um, 
you really want to put a you want to want that pattern to snap. So get some St. John's Wort infused oil. Give yourself a nice oil massage or have somebody else do it. Put their hands on you as a as a witness to protecting this pain or this I should say this this barrier, this sacred barrier. Making a bath with St. John's Wort. All of that makes a lot of sense for that spiritual aspect. Now, going into the f- more of the physical realm, St. John's wort. What can I say about St. John's wort that, that a lot of people haven't already said? Well, St. John's wort is an amazing liver healer. It's so good at improving the speed of detoxification through the liver. There's the yellow flower. There's the bile. Um, and here's where the, the, this alleged controversy comes from. It's controversial, but not to me. In fact, I was invited to a, a conference by, put on by Susan Weed and to be a presenter earlier this year. And the conference was entitled St. John's Wort in the Nonsense. And so I gave a presentation about the astrotheology and, you know, kind of things that I was talking about here a little bit more in depth. And, but I wasn't really sure what the premise was for in the nonsense. I didn't really, that didn't really register to me until I had an interview with Susan and she was talking to me and she was asking me about the contraindications of St. John's wort. And that's when I realized, oh, that's what in the nonsense is about. So St. John's wort has these uh, contraindications that are probably brought about in part, a lot of part by copy and paste herbalism, which is a something I'll critique. Basically, copy and paste herbalism is somebody will read something, somebody will write something, and another person will take that information. They'll, they won't verify it. They won't check it. They don't um, play it against their own experience. They just copy it and then they paste it. And then this information just keeps going out in the world. So that's why I'm saying like challenge, you could challenge anything that I have to say, check it. Don't take it for granted. Of course, make it apply to your own experience as well. But in copy and paste herbalism, you'll, you'll hear things like St. John's word is antiviral and they'll never follow up or check that source or see, or be able to explain what that means. They'll just be like, no, it's just antiviral. I don't know. That's what I heard. Um, and so one of the things that comes from copy and paste herbalism is I've read this in a field guide once there was a field guide and next to St. John's word was a skull and crossbones. <laughs> what? A skull and crossbones. Why? Well, because not because it's poisonous to people, but because when cows eat it, there's a certain reaction that cows can have. And it actually makes them like super sensitive to the sun. There's the solar signatures and it gives them sunburn and they die. Like cows can die from eating too much St. John's wort. So ranchers are really concerned about this. There's actually like tons of, campaigns out west where there's a lot of ranching and there's these big campaigns to eradicate St. John's wort because it it's a danger to the bottom line of their what their their business, right? Business is growing cows, not dying cows. They don't want dead cows. So they want to get rid of it and so somehow that made it into the field guide, copy and paste herbalism um and now in the field guide you have a in this particular field guide which is a joke um, there's a cr- skull and crossbones. Why? Because now somehow over that, over th- through these channels, this gets associated with 
skin sensitivity for people. And there's really no evidence of that. So this is one of the, the first questions that Susan asked me. She goes, in all, in all of your time or experience working with St. John's wort, has anybody ever had a phytosensitive reaction with St. John's wort in the sun? And my answer was, you know, <laughs> it's funny because I talk about that. I say, maybe it will, but I actually use St. John's wort infused oil for sunburn because it helps heal the sunburn. That's like one of the things that I feel like it's reliably good for not giving a sunburn. And she goes, well, you're the 14th presenter in this conference to say the same thing. She's like, nobody that I've talked to that I've, that has any experience working with St. John's wort has ever said that St. John's wort causes people to have more sensitivity to the sun or to the sun or to being more sunburned. And I thought about that a little bit more because I thought St. John's wort is something that improves the liver so much. It speeds it up that actually might be helping people detoxify some of the things that are in this American diet that actually do cause sensitivity to the sun, like seed oils and all the preservatives and the crap that's in like a lot of the, the food that's on the shelves in the supermarkets. I think that that is actually what is the thing that's causing people to be sunburned, not the sun, not the St. John's wort for sure. But uh, because St. John's wort is help moving that, maybe that, maybe that has a, apart for some, some people that might report having sensitivity from St. John's word. But in any case, um, it would it be bad then to use something that would be helpful for your liver so that you have less reaction to the sun or would it be something that you would want to stay away from? I think it would be important to use something that would help you mitigate the harmful effects of the diet. That's going to have a secondary effect on your skin. So that's one. Another contraindication from St. John's wort, and this is in like medical text and everything like this. And so this is one that I've, up until learning more about this, I was guilty of copy paste herbalism myself because I would be um, telling people about how St. John's wort is so good at improving the liver and speeding things up that it actually makes drugs, certain drugs, um, less um, active. Like that's what it says. That's what it says in the medical journal. In fact, it says that it works through the drugs that work through the cytochrome P450 pathway or the CP450 pathway, which is a particular liver pathway and drugs like birth control, certain SSRIs, statins. Um, and there's a lot of um, pharmaceuticals that go through the kidneys and there's some that go through that are metabolized through the liver. And they'll say like, warning, don't use with contraindication with St. John's wort. But there's other foods that speed up this, this pathway too, including grapefruit. Has anyone ever been told not to consume grapefruit when you're on um, antidepressants, for example? Because that would theoretically work in the same pathway. So that's the contraindication. At least that's what it's, that's the way that a lot of people, a lot of herbalists understand it. And myself included until recently when I when I was um, further educated, here is exactly the contraindication. There is a component in Hypericum named Hypericin. Hypericin is a compound that is extremely volatile and not at all present in herbalist preparations. There's nothing that a, somebody who's making a tincture or an infused oil can do outside of very expensive lab equipment to preserve this extremely volatile oil. And why would we? Because we're not looking for this as the chief component. 
we recognize as herbalists that there's many components that are responsible for healing, not just one. However, the reductionist scientist will say, I wonder what thing is in this plant that makes people heal. And so they'll sift through it and then they'll find this one extract and they'll pull it out and they'll test it on laboratory animals by injecting it into their blood um, through their veins and arteries, unlike how you and I might administer medicine. And um, they'll determine, oh, this is this one does these things. But also this one, this hypericin, when we isolate this stuff, it also makes the liver work so good that it makes birth control pills work in half the time. Or it'll make your SSRIs um, work only... A third, you know, a third of a day instead of 24 hours. So the bad news is that um, you're only getting, you know, a third of the dose. And the good news is that your liver is working good. But the the fallaciousness is that we are not using hypericin. We're using St. John's wort, which has many, many, many different compounds, and we are unable to preserve the hypericin because it's so volatile. So they can do that in a laboratory. They can preserve the hypericin, they can replicate it, and they can inject it. We can't. When it's in an alcohol tincture, it's gone. When it's in an, when it's in an oil tincture, or sorry, an oil form, it's gone. When it's in tea, the hot water, psst, it evaporates. It's gone. We don't, I don't have any concerns at all about hypericum and contraindications anymore, now that I know this. So Susan asked me, in all of your experience with working with Hypericum, have you ever seen any evidence or any indication that the concerns of the contraindications of using Hypericum with certain drugs are validated? My answer was, (laughs) well, I'll tell people uh, because that's, you know, what I do let them be informed and make their own decisions. But the people that I work with who are like, yeah, I get it. Thanks for that information. Um, I'm still going, my doctor says that too, but especially people that are working with MS and they'll say, but I don't care. I'm just going to, I'm just going to take the St. John's work because I think it's the right thing. And this is several people, by the way, they don't, they don't have any contraindications. In fact, they report back to me, that the, their stuff is working. That finally, like there's one particular case where she claims that she was cured from her MS by using St. John's wort, a plant that her doctor said was contraindicated be, due to the medicine that she was taking. She could not turn a corner with her MS until she started using St. John's wort. And she's a sovereign person. She is the one that's making up her own mind. She's like, thank you. I see that information. I don't really trust it. So I'm going to do what I'm supposed to do. So anyway, I was telling Susan that, and she's like, yep, once again, nobody has ever, (laughs) nobody that I know is talking in this conference. So while it's on paper, while it's in all of the books, while it's in all of the manuals and all of our, um, the botanical information about um, contraindications, I think it's worth noting that uh, really getting to the bottom of these things, knowing why those contraindications are there and being able to suss out and read research papers. So learning that, reading these papers, learning more about hypericin, learning more that all of this is based on the premise of 
hypericin, of extremely volatile compound that is not present in an alcohol tincture, cannot be present in, a, in an alcohol tincture, cannot be present in a tea in the two ways that I would typically administer an oral uh, or even a, um, or even a capsule, um, which I don't do, but these are the ways that people are taking St. John's wort. Now, if anybody has uh, got SSRIs or birth control medication and they're injecting Hypericum, now maybe there's uh, a valid <laughs> contraindication. Is anybody doing that? Is anybody injecting St. John's wort like a lab rat into their freaking veins? Please. Okay. Copy and paste herbalism. Copy and paste um, information that isn't thoroughly understood. So guilty is that of that myself. Those are the contraindications. Do I feel like there are any contraindications for St. John's wort anymore? No. Um, with that said, you know, take it, take that w whatever way you want. Of course, if you, some people are going to, might be calling somebody like me dangerous for not, um, mentioning contraindications with St. John's word, but that's my conversation. That's what I would say. That's what I think is, it's up to you. Um, okay. So it's great liver healer, bioflavonoids, helping the circulatory system, heart health, as I mentioned before. And then something that a lot of herbalists know about St. John's wort, it is the most incredible nerve healer. So good at healing the nerve. So this is where I was talking about with the MS people, um, that there's a degeneration of the myelin in the nerves. There's a degeneration of the, of the tissue itself. So in, there are certain nerve injuries where, um, the nerve is super sharp, ow, 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 super sharp, biting electric pain. And there's herbs that are great for like sharp electric pain. And then there's types of nerve pain where things are just dull and achy and you can't really, they're not really firing anymore. And then there's, there's uh, herbs that are really helpful for those. But St. John's wort is like all encompassing. This is why it's got this grand um, way of working with the nervous system and the pattern or the, the signature that I see for that is going back to the flower and how the flower looks like it has this fiber optic cables moving that light, moving that electricity and energy potential from the highest source through our own body. So repairing old nerves, maybe a nerve was uh, cut and severed. Maybe it was compressed like in a car accident or something like that, or in the, in the spine. Maybe it's shooting uh, sharp pain from the sciatica. Maybe it's like dull, achy pain that's inside of a joint and it's been there for a long time. St. John's wort is great for that. Uh, what I, um, I would recommend the oil topically and the St. John's wort infused into the oil. By the way, when you infuse St. John's wort into oil, it turns that oil blood red. That's beautiful. It's such a beautiful looking thing, depending on the color of the oil that you're using, but if you're using a lighter oil, then it's going to look really red and it's going to be beautiful. Um, and it might stain a little bit too. So just be aware, have your oil clothes ready. I think doing something topically accompanied by something internal would be very nice. Would there be any contraindications from the hypericin, this alleged compound that causes, uh, that, that speeds up the cytochrome P450 pathway using that externally? No. Does anybody have any, uh, worry about using Yara or sorry, Yara, I said Yara, 
St. John's wort externally for this stuff? No, that's not going to have any effect on the liver at all. Um, it's not going to have any effect on the liver in, inside, you know, when we're using it there either. But if people want to hold on to that old paradigm and err on the side of caution. It's okay still with the oil topically. So that's always been a good way of working with uh, St. John's wort for healing. So not just healing the nerves, but also healing the way that the nerves are connected to the blood. There's the blood signature again, nourishing the nerves, giving it what it needs, that light, that energy, that oxygen. And um, there's another virtue of St. John's wort that's often copy pasted. And this is, I alluded to this earlier for herpes virus. That would be like, you know, um, cold sores, stuff like that. And copy and pasted because um, the question is, what do you mean herpes virus? Is what what are you what are you talking about herpes virus? How do you know? Um, well, because look, and then I'll show you a photograph of the herpes virus. Like that's okay. There's the scene of the crime, and that you're saying that this is the the guilty party. This is a burden of proof when you make a claim, just like in law. When somebody makes an intellectual claim like herpes, the, the cold sores that you get on your face are caused by a virus. The burden of proof is on the, the person that making the claim to prove that. So I am so it wouldn't be uh, a detective would not be negating the crime scene to be like, I don't know if this is the 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 person that we're looking for. They're still they're standing in the crime scene just to refute a positive claim doesn't mean that you have to put the burden of proof yourself to present another perpetrator. But when I say, you know, there's this thing going around right now in the intellectual sphere of health that says, what are you talking about this virus? What? Let me see. How did you get that? Let me see your work. Can you show me how you got this scientific work? And so, yeah, 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 sure. Um, so this is the virus. This is the picture that we took of it. Well, we can, uh, we enhanced it. So it's like a CGI picture, but this is what it would look like. Um, so what we did is we took somebody who had a cold sore and we extracted their blood and their snot and put it onto this cell culture. Wait, 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 wait. Before, wait, you put it on, you put their blood and their snot into a cell culture? Like, did you, didn't you like put it into a centrifuge and like isolate anything like take away the proteins and the bacteria and all the other stuff that's in spit and blood no we didn't do that but then we put it into the cell culture and we grew the cell wait what do you mean a cell culture what's a cell culture well it is um that's it's fetal bovine serum so it's the serum from baby cows and it is monkey vero cells liver cells from a monkey from green monkeys to be exact wait a minute green monkeys like in powder puff girls wait what does baby cow serum and liver cells from monkeys have anything to do with human body well we have to make the cell culture so then we give that cell culture nutrition and we let we let the stuff grow inside of it and let it become a, a bigger culture. And then we give it a bunch of antibiotics, many different kinds of antibiotics, several different kinds. And then we starve it of its nutrition. And then, and then 
as the cell culture is dying, then we can see the viruses. And that's what they take pictures of. So that does that sound like the scientific method at all to you? That sounds horrible. That is that is the most pseudo scientific. Oh man, that's that's what viro virology is. It is taking uh, un isolated samples and uh, putting them into this cauldron. This making basically a humunc uh, humunculus this like voodoo, disgusting witchcraft cauldron, calling it a cell culture, starving it of cells, and then taking pictures of the, the cytopathic effect. So then the detective at the crime scene, standing there at the crime scene, you know, no, not saying, you know, this isn't a crime scene, saying, I don't think that that's how, that, I don't think that that's how it works, uh, the scientific method. Because uh, can't we just get that same cytopathic effect? Can't we just get the same whatever is being produced without putting in an initial sample? And it has. See, that's the thing. Without making an independent variable, um, that's why it is pseudoscientific. So when you do make the independent variable and you actually just recreate the same experiment but don't add the initial sputum and spit and blood from the person with a cold sore you still get the same result. So go figure that there's something that's, that's uh, photographable from a dying uh, monkey cell, kidney cell, bovine cell, <laughs> unfiltered mess or whatever. So anyway, what the heck is the cold sore then? What's going on there? Is it from a virus? Well, I think that's provably not true. Um, especially if you hold logic and the scientific method as the standard and you say, no, I'm not, I'm not sure about that, but I do see St. John's wort being extremely helpful for people who have this thing that's coming up. They have a cold sore coming up. Does that mean it's uh, sexually transmitted from a virus? Well, that is yet to be shown. That is definitely yet to be shown. If somebody's saying that that's the case, then the burden of proof is on them. But what I can say is that I see St. John's wort working very well with the nervous system and healing the nervous system, especially healing conflicts regarding shame and shame, the conflict of shame with intimate parts of the body in particular, the lips and the reproductive organs, especially the labia, the lips of the lips of the mouth and the labia as well. So how exactly is it working? Is it antiviral? Well, we can't actually put St. John's word into a vial and see it killing viruses if a virus has yet to be shown. So um, I think I, I can make a, a theory. I mean, I can make a hypothesis. My hypothesis is that St. John's word is working on a spiritual level, um, helping heal the conflict of shame. This sounds more fun to me. Okay. What else here? Anything else? Okay. St. John's wort into medicine. I talked about infusing it into oil. Would you infuse fresh or dried St. John's wort into oil? It's a question I get a lot. I once I infused St. John's wort fresh into oil and I had like the last of my St. John's wort and like a bunch of my oil and it spoiled because the more fresh plant that you use, like water, the water that's in the fresh plant and oil don't mix. So if you have a plant that's watery or if you're working with a fresh plant, 
and you're just putting it in the window, it's, it is more likely to spoil. I like to like um, dry my St. John's wort just a little bit, maybe still like it's fresh. It's freshly dried. It's not completely crispy dried. There's still a little bit of water in it. And then I put it into some oil and then I heat the oil in like a double boiler or in a crock pot. Um, I put the oil into jars and then I put the jars into the crock pot and I fill it up with water so that it's like a double boiler. And I let, let that cook on a very low temperature for a long time. And so that's the way I like to make my infused oils. But um, some people will just put it into the oil and let it sit in the sun. That's cool. But I've done that before and it's, and it's spoiled. So if it works for you, that's cool. Um, I would say the thing, one, a couple things to keep oil from spoiling, make sure that it's all submerged, completely submerged. If it's any sticking out, then that's going to be no good. I do like to make St. John's wort fresh, fresh as possible into a tincture though. And I love seeing how it changes colors. Ooh, it's so beautiful. It's like alchemy. When you put the St. John's wort in, into the blender with some high proof, clear alcohol and boom, spin it into this red, beautiful mess. Oh, love that. So those are the ways. And then I'll use the oil for, in my all purpose healing oil, I'll use it in my nerve healing oil. I'll use it in my uh, muscle oil. Um, I'll put it into a medicinal lip balm for these cold sores. Um, and then for the tincture, I really like to mix with St. Uh, I said St. John's wort. I really like to mix it with lemon balm for this like brightening, gladdening thing. So St. John's wort became kind of popular in the nineties as like a herbal antidepressant. And of course this is like based on this reductionist model of the body and, um, something that's been provably, um, a, a model that's been provably, <laughs> uh, refuted again with like depression relating to like these serotonin and dopamine, which is false. And anyway, we can, if we want to say like the way that I would say is like energetically like depression as like the type of depression, um, that is from, that is like melancholy. This is the lack of light, the gloominess, the blues, seasonal affective disorder, just like feeling foggy and not seeing the bright side. In fact, it's a, a plant that helps us find the light at the end of the tunnel again. What if you're like, you had this, you had the plan, you had the life, you're going to retire, you're going to get married, you're going to do this. There's the light at the end of the tunnel. You're just like guided by, you're just like going throughout the day, you know, like you're moving and then all of a sudden psh, the path gets interrupted and and now it's like dark. Where am I? Where am I standing? You don't, you're like turning around. Where do I go? Which, which way is forward now? I can't even, I don't even know which way is up, which way is down. Just like a void. St. John's wort brings that light back, brings that light back at the end of the tunnel. So he says, walk this way again. I don't, I don't know. Okay. I don't know what's at the end of the tunnel, but I do know that there's something to walk towards. I have faith now. I have faith that I'm going to get to the other side. I think that that's a great, a great virtue of St. John's wort. So I like that in tincture. I like that in the tea. Um, and I like to mix the tea with other plants too that are really helpful for the nervous system or helpful for this melancholic disposition like lemon balm, like nettles for the nerves. Like when it comes to the nerves, I like to mix it with like prickly ash and agrimony and, um, 
and even like passion flower. And, um, when I'm, when I'm, when it's more for the heart and for the joy and bringing that light back in, we could think about lemon balm. We could think about reishi mushroom. Motherwort would be a good one. Another wart, wart word, weird plant. Um, holy basil. Monarda. Lots of our herbs of the week that we already talked about. So St. John's wort for those. What else? I talked about in, in um, incense. I talked about it as a hydrosol. I talked about it as a charm or something that you could put above your door. Let's see. Spiritual stuff, nerve pain, joy, light at the end of the tunnel, liver health, um, antiviral. Um, <laughs> the best nerve healer, beetles, it's red, uh, holes in the leaf, beautiful flower. Yeah, solstice, bringing the light back into the body. Weird stuff, word stuff. Wart stuff. St. John's wart. That's the herb of the week. Thanks so much for joining. I wish you a light at the end of the tunnel. I wish you hope and joy in your in your in the sunny time of the year. May the light be with you throughout the darkest part of the year as well. And until next time, this is Kyle from Tippy Canoe Herbs and Root Radical Herbal Academy saying, ciao for now.